as we have been told, the Inspire Synergy has been running for 10 years. I want to appreciate the Lord for the grace of continuity. I want to thank him for the way he has led us to continue. Many initiatives begin and they die. But God has been gracious. Can we put our hands together for our Lord? For the grace of continuity. And as we come to this critical gate of the 10th year, I'd like us to reflect on the subject of celebrating the 10th year in the 14th year season. Celebrating the 10th year of the Inspire Synergy in the 14th year season. Remember, we began to unveil how God conceives time. And we gave a scriptural basis for understanding God's concept of time. Remember that our God dwells in eternity, but he rules over time. And our times are in his hand. And he chooses specific times and seasons to introduce or to help us to move to another level. We spoke yesterday about Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And that scripture gives us a perspective of understanding God's concept of times and seasons. A day unto the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So the character of a day in scripture can be the character of a year. And when we look at this 10th year, what inspiration should we have as to the things the Lord will want us to focus? What divine illumination can we draw from scripture about the 10th year, especially when you're celebrating the 10th year in the 14th year season? The number 10 in scripture represents law and order, righteousness and justice. Of course, you are familiar with the 10 commandments. Some people think that the 10 commandments are outdated. But the 10 commandments are God's universal law depicting law and order morality. They are God's ten words of life and death. And we need to begin to reflect on the issue of order. Can I say order? Order in our lives, order in our families, order in the marketplace, order in the nation. When we speak of order, whatever you see today in the negative represents disorder, lawlessness. And it's because we have violated the cardinal principle that God gave us in scripture for allowing nations to be orderly structures, structured marketplaces to run according to divine order. I think it was Ted Turner 
the founder of CNN, that once said that the Ten Commandments are outdated and they should be replaced by ten voluntary initiatives. And he actually promised that whoever could produce ten voluntary initiatives that will satisfy his fancy, he will give that person a lot of money. There are certain things that are not voluntary. They are commandments. And whenever the commandments of the Lord, Lord are broken, you would notice disorder, confusion. Tetona says that Christianity is a religion for losers. That he doesn't need anybody to die for him on the cross. That if he has had a few drinks and a few girlfriends, if that would take him to hell, so be it. And when you look at the nations today, everything that represents order is being violated. In America, actually, there is an attack on the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Chief Justice of the state of Alabama once had a plaque of the Ten Commandments in his office. He was asked to remove it because it violated the Constitution. And he refused and he was removed as Chief Justice of the state of Alabama. When he took the matter to the Supreme Court of America, the Supreme Court actually declared that his removal was legitimate. For as long as the nations violate the cardinal principles of the Ten Commandments, we will never be able to understand how our nation should function. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, you have Ten Commandments in two uh, dimensions. The first four of the commandments are the vertical commandments. Can I just say the vertical commandments? Can you demonstrate it? Vertical commandments. They dictate our relationship with God. You shall have no other God before me. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, the next six deal with our horizontal relationship. Everybody demonstrate horizontal relationship. Now, notice that the emphasis is not so much on the vertical, but on the horizontal. Let's demonstrate again vertical relationship. Horizontal relationship. One more time. Vertical relationship. Horizontal relationship. What are you forming? It's the cross. Actually, the Ten Commandments is the foundation uh, for what we have at the cross. The place of self-denial. The place of substitutionary sacrifice. The place of death to self. So we can live unto God. So as we come into this 10th year, God is asking us to reflect on issues that have to do with law and order, righteousness and justice. Because without these things, the vision of providing solution to the nations may never be fulfilled. Why was it that Joseph, as Pastor Laban has told us, excelled over his brothers because he understood how to live a life of order 
And because he lived a life of order, God put him in position of authority to bring order to the nation. But the number 10 also symbolizes legal representation for authenticity. Legal representation for authenticity. In scripture, each time the elders got to the gates to legislate, they always went as ten. Ten elders would go at the gate. Take the example of Ruth chapter 4 verse 2. When Boaz wanted to get married to Ruth, notice that he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit ye down here, and they sat down. And so the number 10 somehow speaks about legal representation for authenticity. But above all, as I like to emphasize tonight, the number 10 speaks of the end of a circle and the beginning of a new circle. The Inspire Synergy Conference has done well for these 10 years, but one circle has come to an end. A new circle is about to begin. And there are things that we must begin to reflect on and practically do if we must enter into the fullness of the new circle. There are also things in our lives that may still be representative of the old circle. But I'm trusting that as you enter into this tenth year, circles that do not glorify God in your life will be broken. The principle is gotten from Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 2. That scripture says that a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the righteous until the tenth generation. A bastard should not enter into the congregation of the righteous until the tenth generation. Now, the principle is that circles of illegitimacy come to an end after every ten years. Cycles of illegitimacy comes to an end after every 10 years. Again, Pastor Lehman was talking about the sin of Judah. Remember how Judah, when his wife died, went to sleep with uh, his daughter-in-law who pretended to be a prostitute and produced a bastard called Phares. The Bible says of Judah, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. In other words, the dominion mandate was to rest upon Judah. But because of that iniquity of having sex with his daughter-in-law, that mandate over his life could not be fulfilled. Notice that Phares was the first generation of Judah after the infraction after the sin no person from the tribe of judah could become king it was in the ninth generation 
that the children of Israel began to desire to be like other nations. And so they wanted a king. And a king was consecrated for them, but not from the tribe of Judah, but from the tribe of Benjamin. But by this time, a law was working. Of course, Saul sinned, and David had to be anointed. David was the 10th generation from Pharez. In other words, cycles of illegitimacy come to an end after 10 generations, 10 years. As far as the marketplace is concerned, what are the cycles of the things that are illegitimate that we must make sure must come to an end in this season? Many of the people who have come here, you've been here for 10 years. What has 10 years of Inspire Conference really done in your lives? We know, as Paul has testified, that there are certain things to show. But I'm speaking at the level of the individual now. What can you say that by reason of partaking of this ministry for 10 years, what have you really achieved? Now, unless our minds are changed, nothing will change. And there are illegitimate concepts of ministry that must change if we must move to the next level. Many of us still think that we are not ministers, but tell your neighbor you are a minister. Come on and tell somebody you are a minister. Lift up your right hand and say, I am a minister. Now, it's illegitimate for you to think that you are not a priest. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 and 6 declares that God has washed us in his blood and has made us to be kings and priests. So you are a king, you are a priest. What's the difference between you and those that wear color? Those who wear color are priestly kings. The emphasis is on the priesthood. Those who are in the marketplace are kingly priests. The emphasis is on the dominion mandate. But everybody is a king. Everybody is a priest. It means, therefore, that it is illegitimate to begin to think about the clergy-related dichotomy. That dichotomy must be broken. It must die in your life. And it must die in the church. Of course, there are those who are priests in the temple. And we come to them to receive instruction. But we are no less priests. In the sense that we have to go back to the marketplace. Notice that the word, the word clergy, laity. Let's not go into the etymology now. But there's another illegitimate concept that must come to an end. It is the secular spiritual dichotomy. Can I say the secular spiritual dichotomy? There is this thinking that when you're in church praying, you're doing spiritual work. But when you are in the school teaching, when you're in the marketplace exchanging goods and services, you're doing secular work. That's an illegitimate concept that must also die. In fact, as far as God is concerned, there is nothing secular. The word secular is derived from a Latin word, seculorum. It means anything without God. 
So when you say in my secular work, you're talking about my work with God has nothing to do with. Tell somebody near you, you don't have a secular work. Come on now, use your prophetic voice. Tell somebody you don't have a secular work. Buying and selling is spiritual. Politics is spiritual. Legislation is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And work is an aspect of worship. Say it after me. Work is an aspect of worship. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So every illegitimate concept that has hindered us, we need to take it away. Because that is one of the things that has hindered our ability to identify a problem and apply the knowledge, the skills, and the wisdom that we have gotten to solve the problem, knowing that we're doing a kingdom assignment. So we must deal with the clergy-lady dichotomy. We must deal with the secular spiritual dichotomy. Our concept of church must change. The church is not a place. The church is a people. Say it after me. The church is not a place. The church is a people. We have an architectural concept of church. I'm going to church. That means you're going to a place. Wherever God's people are, there's church there. So God is looking for a church in parliament. There has to be a church in parliament. When God's people go to parliament to make laws there, to stand for him so that law and order, righteousness and justice will prevail in the nation, it means that there is a church there. There must be a church in Makarere. Can somebody shout hallelujah? I think it was about two years ago, I was in at Makarere. We had a lecture. It was to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the faculty of computer and information science. And we, the lecture was entitled Humanism and the Challenges of the Information Age. And, and as I was giving the lecture, everybody thought, well, it is just another secular lecture. But we got to a point when I began to say that, look, the Bible should become the fundamental text for every subject. Because there's a biblical curriculum for physics. There's a biblical curriculum for chemistry. There's a biblical curriculum for, for, for every subject. But it's because our minds have been tuned to believe in this spiritual secular dichotomy, we can't even be confident to derive principles from the scripture in order to develop curriculum. That's why the universities today, what we teach there is void. Anything without the principles of the word of God will be void. Anything without the principle of Christ will be void. And things were created by word. There is a word that builds, but there is also a word that destroys. If the word is humanistic, it will destroy. And notice that the universities are dying because the word that is taught there is not based 
on scripture. After the lecture, it was, I think, the, the head of department of physics that asked the question. She made a confession that she teaches astronomy. And as part of her teaching of astronomy, and she's, she happened to be a believer, all the astronomy she taught was basically humanistic. Teaching that evolution is the foundation of understanding astronomy. That matter created mind. That's crazy. If anything should create the other, it is mind that should create matter. It doesn't make sense that matter will create mind. It is mind that should create matter. And she, she said, what can I do to bring the Bible which I believe in to teach astronomy? It was at that point we began to examine the biblical aspects of astronomy. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament show forth his praise. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no language in the world where their voice is not heard. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom running a race. I'm quoting Psalm 19. That became a fundamental basis. God says he has numbered the stars and he has given each one a name. So she decided that she was now going to begin to develop a biblical curriculum for astronomy. Now, it's important to note that we have a role to play. But the concepts that have ruled us that are illegitimate must be taken away. And I believe there are certain other things we need to note. The church is not a place. It is a people. And of course, one of the fundamental things that the Inspire Conference has done is to create a synergy of five churches. And that is to break the unhealthy denominational concept which creates a world that restricts others from interacting. No one church can, 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 can build a city or can bring light to the nation. Each church has a redemptive gift. Each church has a redemptive agenda. It is when we pull our redemptive gifts and our redemptive agenda that we can bring forth the kingdom of God upon the earth so that the will of God will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So whatever represents illegitimacy must be broken. So God is telling us to move the meeting this morning the council we received as we sat with some of the ministers is that we need to bring many more people into the synergy we have begun with five for ten years it's time to expand it and i can assure you there are those that will want to come to partake of this ministry god is talking about raising a territorial church let say territorial church now this morning uh Bishop Masinde began to teach us from the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now in Acts chapter, let's just revisit that scripture, Acts chapter 13. You would see the nature of a territorial church 
that must help us break this illegitimacy of denominational barriers. Denominations are necessary as administrative instruments because we all cannot congregate in one place. Can I hear you say amen? Now, but we need to go beyond denominations. We need to go beyond this isolationism. We need to go beyond that. Sometimes you see some pastors, they go and buy three plots of land and then they put up a signboard and on the signboard is written city of favor. Three plots is not a city. No. So we remain in our three plus city and forget the bigger city. But God is calling us to raise a territorial church. In Acts chapter 13, reading from verse 1, the scripture says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Notice that this church here was a territorial church. It had prophets, it had teachers, eventually apostles. We begin to look at the building. What mentioned there is Barnabas. Can I say Barnabas? Barnabas was the son of consolation. And God wants to raise sons of consolation in the marketplace. We were told this morning how Paul and Barnabas, when they returned to Jerusalem, they didn't return as people wearing color. They went as carriers of relief. Let say relief. But do you notice that you hear of earthquakes there, floods there, but we have not understood that that's an open door to carry relief. In that church was not just Barnabas, who was a son of consolation. You notice mention was Simeon. Can I just say Simeon? Simeon means hearing. Can I say hearing? So Simeon the Niger, this was a black man that had ability to hear. To hear. Wherever you are, begin to ask God to tune your ears to hear him speak to you about his plan and purpose for the institution, his plan and purpose for the territory, so that you receive instruction. The gifts of the spirit are not just supposed to manifest in the church. They are supposed to manifest wherever you find yourself. I've often told the story of an incident in New Zealand. There was the case of stolen sheep. Now, unfortunately, when the case came to court, neither the plaintiff, the man who brought the case, nor the defendant had witnesses. And in a court case, you will need witnesses. And the judge did not know how to determine who uh, owned the sheep in question. This judge was a Christian. And as he was praying about the case, reflecting and asking the Holy Spirit to give him direction, activated in his mind that morning was John 10. My sheep hear my voice. 
my sheep hear my voice. By that word of knowledge, a word of wisdom was further activated. And the Lord said, if sheep hears the voice of the shepherd, the witness in this case should be the sheep. So they herded the sheep into the courtroom. And the judge asked the plaintiff, call, you said this sheep belongs to you. Call the sheep the way you would normally call the sheep. He made some click sounds. The sheep didn't move. Judge said, okay, stop. The defendant was now asked to call the sheep the way he would normally call the sheep as a shepherd. He made one click sound and all the sheep ran to him. So case was dismissed. If ordinary sheep will hear the voice of an ordinary shepherd, we must hear the voice of our maker. So that when you get into the marketplace, don't just go and do business. Manifest all the gifts of the spirit there. You need it in every respect. In that church was not just Simeon, the Niger, who happened to be a black man. There was Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is the present place you call Libya. And Lucius means light bearer. Can I say light bearer? The Bible says we are the light of the world. No one lights a candle and puts under a bushel. We must shine forth. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In that church, territorial church was not just Lucius, the light bearer. There was Manen. Manen means comforter. May the Lord bring forth comforters for our generation. Pastor Laban just taught us how Joseph became a comforter to a nation. Lift up your right hand and say, Lord, make me a comforter for my nation. For everyone here, there's an area... There's a problem in the nation that we can bring comfort to. There are people in the nation, and of course, you had Manem who had been brought up not in church, but with Herod the Tetrarch, and of course, Saul. And they all ministered to the Lord. Everybody say they ministered to the Lord. Notice that when we come to church, we'll come to be ministered to. Oftentimes, that's our motivation, to be ministered to. It's time to minister to the Lord. And ministry to the Lord is not, I love you, Lord. That's part of it. But ministry to the Lord is helping the Lord to solve problems. And so as we come to the end of this cycle or enter into a new cycle of the 10th year, my prayer is that every circle of illegitimacy must be broken in Jesus' name. Whatever is illegitimate in our concepts, whatever is illegitimate in our attitude, whatever is illegitimate in our relationships must come to an end. It means that we need to be very, very careful concerning the time and the season in which we are. Because we can come into a critical season, an auspicious time like this, and we miss it. Somebody say, God forbid. Let's take an example 
of Abraham. In Genesis 16, reading from verse 1, Genesis chapter 16, reading from verse 1, Abraham was compelled to do something which was not right by his wife. Genesis chapter 16, permit me to read from verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please, Go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. She was offering her maid to her husband on the ground of probability. Perhaps, perhaps I may have children by her. And notice that she realized that the Lord had restrained her from bearing children. It was not the devil that restrained her. Church who restrained her? The Lord. If it was the Lord, it means that it was a divine restraint. At the fullness of time, God would have given her children. Unfortunately, Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. The day your husband will tell you to do something contrary to God's will, may you not heed his voice. The day your wife will tell you to do something that contravenes God's commandment, may you not heed her voice. Now, at what time did Abraham heed the voice of Sarah? Let's read a little further. Let me read from verse 3. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife, after Abraham dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. How many years? No, from the scripture I have mentioned, it is possible that this cycle of illegitimacy or barrenness, because barrenness was uh, illegitimate, it was possible, I'm not saying that's the case, that this cycle of illegitimacy could have come to an end in the 10th year. But in the 10th year, when cycles of illegitimacy come to an end, Abraham did something contrary to God's will. I have a list of up to 10, 12, uh, 12 people who could not have children, but in the tenth year, their wombs were opened. Now look at the consequence of doing something wrong at a time that God wants to bless you. Look at the consequence. The Bible says that when Hagar discovered that she was pregnant, she despised her maid, that despise her mistress rather. If for instance, Sarah told Hagar, go and uh, put Matoke on fire. Go and put Matoke on fire for me. Cook it. She laughed. <laughs> Who should be cooking Matoke in this house? Is it me that is carrying the baby of the family? Or you that is a dry stick for 90 years? Ha ha ha! She despised her mistress. But that was not the end of the problem. Sarah herself 
was mad because she walked up to her husband in verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and you. Somebody shout confusion. It's like Paul invited us for this Inspire conference. And I come into Kampala. I branch uh, somewhere and steal a goat. Somebody shout, God forbid. And then police arrest me. And I know even though I've done something wrong, he will come to police station to see me. At least after the evening session. And he comes there. And I look at him and say, Paul, my wrong be upon you. You were the one that invited me for Inspire Conference. Now I've stolen a goat. God, judge between me and you. <laughs> Notice that many times we do things that are wrong, but there is no conviction that what we have done is wrong. And so at a time, a cycle of illegitimacy should come to an end. New cycles of illegitimacy are added. But that's not just all. There was also confusion in the life of Abraham himself. Abraham looked at Sarah and said, your maid is in your hand. So whatever you want to do to her, go ahead and do. So if you want to kill her, kill her. And she persecuted Hagar until Hagar ran away. Now, I'd like you to know that some of us we run away from employment before the time. <laughs> there are certain things you will suffer in the marketplace. Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Because it was not just time to leave that employment, as she was running away, an angel met her on the road, and the angel asked her, Haga, Haga, where are you running away to? Haga said, I'm running away from my mistress. The angel said, Go back and submit yourself to her. Oh, she's cruel. Go and submit to her. She doesn't give me food. Go and submit to her. You're carrying a baby in your womb. His name shall be called Ishmael. He shall be a wild man. Every man's hand shall be upon him. And his hand shall be upon every man. Because of misbehaving at a critical gate of time, at a time when cycles of illegitimacy should come to an end, we have El Shabab today. We have Boko Haram today. So we need to be careful of the time that we have come into. Because God has laid a foundation for 10 years. He wants to build upon that good foundation. He wants us to use us even in the marketplace to break cycles of illegitimacy. He wants to use us in the nation to break cycles of illegitimacy. And listen to me, he will do it whether the devil likes it or not. The marketplace is gradually dying because of iniquity, because of unrighteousness. But I can tell you that there is a remnant that God wants to raise in the marketplace. A people after his name. A people that will stand up for him. And in this season, God will do incredible things with such people. Don't worry about the sorcerers, the monthly prognosticators. 
Don't worry because in this season, God will raise people from this conference to judge idolatry, to judge iniquity, to judge witchcraft. But we must get to the place of understanding what God is saying. Look at the pattern that God began to show us in the book in the life of Hezekiah. You remember the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was sick unto death. And when he was sick unto death, a message came. And the message came from the prophet Isaiah. And he says, set your house in order because you will die and not live. Set your house in order because you will die and not live. The Bible says that he turned his face to the world and he cried. He cried unto the Lord. Let's turn to that scripture and let's read together. I think it's in uh, first, first Chronicles chapter 20. Let's look at that scripture again. Chronicles. Or is it second? Okay, you can also find it in Isaiah. I think Isaiah, let's take the Isaiah example. Let's take the Isaiah example. If you get to it, Isaiah 38, yes, let's take the Isaiah example. Isaiah 38. Good. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to you these 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. And this shall be the sign to you from the Lord. That the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow of the sundial. Which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz. Ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial which it had gone, of which it had gone down. Now, you know the story. Now, but what is the essence of this? Hezekiah was to die. It was a prophet of no less caliber than Isaiah that went to declare the message. 
But as he turned and faced the wall and cried unto the Lord and pleaded his case, Isaiah had not gone out of the court when another word came. Return and tell him you will no longer die. There are many things that are dying in the marketplace in the nations. And some of us who have not the mind of God will think that those things will really die. But in this season, certain things that are dying will be restored back to life. And God will do it in a supernatural way. Now, the sign was that the sundial went 10 degrees backwards. In other words, God will give us signs of impossibilities that will become possibilities. But he will need those that will believe what he is about to do. If a man die, shall he live again? Job asked. If a man die, shall he live again? In Job 14, 14, I don't know if it was God that answered the question or if it was Isaiah that answered the question. If a man die, shall he live again? He says, all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Change is coming to Africa. Change is coming to Uganda. Let's wait for that change. Let's wait on the Lord for that change. Because God will do incredible things, but he will use people to do it. He will use those that believe that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. He will use those who believe that all flesh is like grass, this flower like the, the, the glory of the grass. But the grass will wither. The flower will fall. But the word of the Lord endure it forever. He is still a miracle working God. A nation can be restored in one day. But God is looking for those that will believe him. God is looking for those who will believe that he can do all things. And so as we reflect on this 10th year. Let's ask God, Lord, use me. Let's develop inspired dissatisfaction. Somebody say inspired dissatisfaction. Inspired dissatisfaction is not morose brooding. Oh, nothing is working. Oh, I don't know what to do. No, it's an inspiration that where we are now is not where we ought to be. That there is higher ground. That I can do better than I'm doing now. Inspired dissatisfaction is what you see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are before, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, I haven't arrived. Where I am now is not where I ought to be. But I know there is higher ground for me. I know I can do better than I am doing now. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. That's the spirit that God wants us to develop. As we come into this celebration of the 10th year. Especially in the uh, 14th year season. It calls for greater diligence. Can I say greater diligence? It calls for deeper dimensions of consecration. Can I say deeper dimensions of consecration? It calls for 
good work ethics at another level. Let me just illustrate one more example of the 10th year and then I conclude with the 14th year. In Genesis 24, Genesis 24, we read that Abraham called the attention of Eliezer, his servant, concerning his son, Isaac. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had placed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please, Put your hand under my tie, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, To thy descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Now, Abraham was old and advanced in age. The Lord had blessed him. Many of our fathers are aging. Many of them are going to be passing away. There is a new generation of servants that God is raising. They belong to the Eliezer company. They are diligent. They are devoted. They are loyal. They understand God's plan. And our fathers have prayed just like Abraham prayed for him. The angel of the Lord whom I serve, who took me from the oil of the country, will lead you. He swore the oath. And then this man was not just a servant. He was a steward. And the Bible tells us that all the goods of his master were in his hands. That means he must have been a good steward. He must have been faithful. Now, the point I like to make is in verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. Church, how many camels? He took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hands. May all your master's goods be entrusted in your hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. You know the rest of the of the story. As the camels knelt down by the well, this servant prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, the first lady who comes out and I ask for water to drink and she gives me water to drink and without my asking for water to drink, she gives my camels water. May she be the one you have appointed for my master's son. Remember, Abraham prayed the prayer. The angel that led me, let that angel lead him. 
No sooner Eliezer prayed this prayer, I sincerely believe that an angel left heaven immediately and flew to Rebekah's house and came to Rebekah and said, Rebekah, Rebekah, good thing is coming. Rebekah, Rebekah, good thing is coming. Carry your bucket and go and fetch water. Yes, it's not time to fetch water, but be led by the Spirit. Carry your bucket and go and fetch water. Rebekah, Rebekah, good thing is coming. God will be giving us opportunities where there were no opportunities before. It will not be obvious immediately, but you need to be led by the Spirit. In traditional societies, ladies do not go fetching water alone. But she carried her bucket, came to the well. She saw the man. And the Bible says, Eliezer said to her, can I have some water to drink? She says, my Lord, I'll give you water. But I also give you camels. Amazing. She was not told to water the camels. And Eliezer came with 10 camels. Somebody say 10 camels. Now an average camel drinks 20 gallons of water to be satisfied. Eliezer sits down. And usually I can tell you that where the camels were kept couldn't have been where the well is. Because usually there will be a distance so that the camels do not fall into the well and pollute the well. Using John Maxwell's distance, there may have been a three minutes distance between the camel and the well. And Elijah sat down and this lady fetched water for each camel. As an average camel drinks, how many buckets of water to... Ten gallons. I can assure you reading that scripture that that day, no camel drank 19 and a half gallons. No one drank 18 gallons. Even the camel said, this girl, something good is about to happen to you. You must work for it. You must work for it. No work, no pay. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. How do I know that they didn't drink 19 and a half camels? The Bible says when the camels had finished drinking, now as they finished, <laughs> each one drank the quantity of water. And Eliezer sat there watching this girl go carry. If an average camel drinks 20 gallons of water to be satisfied, and she fetched each gallon for three minutes. How many minutes did she spend to fetch the, uh, the, the gallons of water for one camel? 60, right? And they had 10 camels. So, one hour for each camel. How many hours? 10 hours. Amazing. Even if I were, if I were God and Rebecca was 100 years I'll look for a 30 year old Milonia and give her as a husband. <laughs> because she had done wonderfully well. When you read that scripture, the minute she finished giving water to the camels, because the scripture tells us that the camels had finished drinking in verse 15, and it happened before he had finished speaking. Okay, that's, let me go a little further. 
Let me get to verse 22. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold. The girl that fetched water for ten camels was given the blessing of ten shekels of gold. Whatever you do for the Lord in this season, he will reward you. Let your mindset be, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All other things shall be added unto you. She takes him home and notice that when he got home, they served him a meal. They said, no. He said, I will not eat until I have stated my case. And they discussed. And eventually, Laban wanted to delay the lady for 10 days. He said, let her remain for 10 days. Somehow, the man said, hinder me not, since the Lord hath prospered my journey. My point, again, is in verse 61. When the marriage, okay, from verse 60. When the marriage was eventually agreed to, and Rebekah was given to the man, look at the blessing upon Rebekah's life. Verse 60. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of thousands, and may your descendants possess the gifts of those that hate them. Somebody say a good amen. amen. There is no way biologically Rebecca could have been a mother of thousands upon thousands. Biologically, it was impossible. So it was a spiritual blessing. Can you tell somebody near you, be diligent, be devoted. And as you're diligent, and as you're devoted, may you be a father of thousands upon ten thousands. If it's a lady, may you be a mother of thousands upon ten thousands. Do you know that if you understood what the Lord was saying yesterday, that the treasures in the marketplace are not just silver and gold, but they are souls. That's how you can become a father of thousands upon ten thousands. And a mother of thousands upon ten thousands. But that's not still my point. My point is in verse 61. Then Rebekah and her maids arose and rode on the camels, on the ten camels, and followed the man. Rebekah and her maids arose and rode on the ten camels. In other words, the camels you water today will carry you to the fulfillment of your destiny. Everyone here, there is a camel around you. Camels need to be watered. Camels look inconsequential, even though they have a relevance. Camels look ugly. And there are camels around you you ought to water. The camels you water today will carry you to the fulfillment of your destiny. Your camel can be a social initiative in the marketplace. Your camel can be transforming environments that uh, have been neglected for generations. 
and not waiting to be employed to do it, but doing it as a matter of initiative. Eliezer did not ask for his camels to be watered. She offered to water the camels. The camels you water today will carry you to the fulfillment of your destiny. God chose for us to celebrate the 10th year in the 14th year season. Yesterday, we began to look at the concepts associated with the 14th year. Power and process of salvation. Glories and gateways of deliverance. Double septenary grace for perfection. Tripartite 14 generations of Jesus. And we came to the place where we're talking about the consecration and glorification of firstborns. That the leadership mandate in this season is the mandate for firstborns. Because firstborns are carriers of the dominion mandate. Of the children of Jehoshaphat, he gave the others gift, but he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was his firstborn. And firstborns are mine. And you belong to God. Your business belongs to God. God began to give us concepts of firstborn. If there are firstborn nations like Israel, and there, 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 are, there are firstborn nations. That means there can be firstborn companies. There can be firstborn hospitals. There can be firstborn schools. Schools that are pathfinders. Schools that are creative innovators. Schools that are carriers of the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Schools that, that tell others, show others what to do. Firstborns are mine. About 53 or 52% of the presidents of America have been firstborns. And I'm talking about firstborns by birth order. Close to 43% of the uh, CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies are firstborns. So why are our own firstborns not doing well? Why is it that you should stay in school for five years, but many of our firstborns stay for nine years. Why? We must see it in the context of the idolatry, the wickedness, the immorality in the foundation. Reuben could not excel because of immorality. Methuselah could not excel. He lived long, but no achievement. Esau could not excel because of profanity. He cheapened spiritual things. God's mandate is that every nation is led by firstborns of different dimensions. You remember communist Russia said there is no God. How many people remember communist Russia? Now communist Russia said there is no God. Then God says Firstborns are mine. They are the leaders of leaders. From the time communism began in 1917 to when it ended in, 19, in 1991, communist Russia had 11 different rulers. I investigated and discovered that not one of the 11 rulers of communist Russia was a firstborn. If God says firstborns are mine, they are the leaders of leaders, and you say there is no God. So God did not allow 11 rulers to be firstborn. Then when communism collapsed, remember that Russia opened her doors. Today, there are Pentecostal churches, there are Anglican churches, there are Baptist churches in Russia. 
and to some extent they are allowed to function, I examined the leadership of post-communist Russia and I discovered that of the four leaders of post-communist Russia they have had, all four have been firstborns in one way or the other. The first was Boris Yeltsin. Boris Yeltsin was an only child, so he was both first and last. The second was Valdemar Putin. He was firstborn by death. The third was Dmitry Medvedev. He was also an only child. And Putin has come back. So if God says that there is a church of the firstborn registered in heaven, it means that only firstborns are going to heaven. And the 14th year is a time for consecrating and glorifying firstborns. That means people in the marketplace, go back to the marketplace and let your mandate be to raise firstborn companies, firstborn institutions, those that will honor the God of heaven, applying his principles, those that will be creative innovators, pathfinders, those that will manifest the spirit of excellency. That's what God is calling us to do. As we celebrate the 10th year within the 14th year season, listen to me, God wants to do something. Every 14th year, God makes a difference between the seed of Ishmael and the heritage of Isaac. Every 14th year. Remember, the 14th day can be like the 14th year. It was on the 14th day of Nisan that God killed the firstborn of the Egyptians and preserved the firstborn of the Jews. So that night, he made a difference. He killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. Firstborn of not just the families. Firstborn of animals. I believe sincerely that even the firstborn of rats and cockroaches died that night. But he preserved the firstborn of the Hebrews. But look at it in the next context. The scripture tells us that after Ishmael was born, or before Ishmael was born, and after he was born, there was confusion in the house of Abraham. Abraham was fighting with Sarah. Sarah was fighting with Hagar. And realized that after Hagar had Ishmael, there was no other relationship between Hagar and uh, Abraham. Because if they were, they would have been children. And the family was dysfunctional because of iniquity. We are told in Genesis 16, 16, that Ishmael was born to Abraham when Abraham was 86 years old. How old was Abraham when Ishmael was born? 86 years old. Now follow me carefully. Now you all know that Isaac was born to Abraham when Abraham was a hundred years old. Am I right? So, a hundred years minus 86 is how many years? So, the difference between the seed of Ishmael and the heritage of Isaac is what? 14 years. And in this 14th year season, God wants to make a difference between you and the unbeliever. God wants to make a difference between you and those that do not serve God. And so we need to rise to a new level. Let the difference be, be clear. 
in the area of hard work, in the area of integrity, in the area of righteousness, in the area of diligence, let the difference be clear. Then it not just be word. Let them see the way you come to work. Remember, some people don't want to employ believers today because they seem to trust some believers more than believers. Go to work on time. Take the break that is approved. Put in an extra effort. Use the spirit of God to solve problems. Make a difference because God indeed wants to make a difference between the seed of Ishmael and the heritage of Isaac. And so after 14 years, Isaac was born. And when Isaac was born, there was a word that God put in the mouth of Sarah. In Genesis 21 verse 6, Sarah said, God has made me to laugh. And all that hear it will laugh with me. In other words, we are at the end time. God wants to make us to laugh so that all that hear it will laugh with us. Already, I'm testifying of what our sister Jennifer Mississippi is doing in the city. Huh? She's making the city to what? Laugh. Those who hear it will also what? Laugh. There's something God wants to do in Uganda. And he's already started doing it. That will become an example for other nations. So that as Uganda laughs, Ghana will laugh. South Africa will laugh. Nigeria will laugh. May God make Uganda to laugh. So that all that hear the laughter of Uganda will laugh with Uganda. May God make you to laugh. So that all that hear you will laugh with you. Please bow your heads. And I'd like to invite our Lord Bishop to please come and pray for us. Sir, please. I just have this listen. Come and pray for us. Bow your heads. Let us pray. Father, we just bow our heads before you tonight. Because we are challenged. We are stretched. Your word comes with such a clarity that we cannot deny it. And Lord, it makes a demand on us that we cannot continue doing things the way we have done them before. We must change. We must change. Our lives must change. Our thinking must change. Our attitudes must change. We cannot continue doing things the same way we've done them before and expect different results. And I am praying that that spirit that captured Daniel, captured Joseph, and made them different from their brothers, captured David, make them different from his brothers. Let that spirit possess these men. Let that spirit possess these women. That as they come out of this conference this year, there will be a new cycle beginning. A new cycle of men and women who will have purposed like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are going to make a difference in our generation. We don't have another generation, Lord. We have our generation. To impact. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, these men and women shall rise up from here 
and say our generation shall be a, a brand new cycle in Uganda now. To make a difference in the marketplace. Make a difference in our schools, universities and industries. And even in our church life. Lord we thank you. Because of these 10 years. It's a time to forget. It's a time to remember. It's a time to release a cycle. It's a time to begin a new cycle. It's a time to release the illegitimate and to start moving into the legitimate. It's a time to say no to mediocrity and to say yes to excellence. It's a time to say no to being backward in our thinking and to say, Lord, we are going to become kingdom thinkers and kingdom performers. Stand together with me. As we stand, just, we are still in prayer. Just lift up one hand. Just make a declaration. My life. My life. I'm looking for to understand what has just been taught here tonight by these two servants of God. Say again, my life, my life. will never, will never. Ever. ever be the same again. Be the same again. Do you believe it? Put some anger into it. Some holy anger. Can you put some holy anger into it? Say with me, my life. Will never, will never ever, ever be, the be the same again. No, no, you're not angry enough. I'm looking for some people who are going to tell you, Bishop, I'm going to put some holy anger into this. Are you there? Can I hear a voice one more time? With one hand raised up, say, My life yeah. will never, never ever, ever be the same again. Look at two, three people. Tell them you are my witness. I said two, three people. Okay, now you see the way you are doing it. Do you see, realize how you are doing it? You are doing it. That, you are my witness. You are my witness. I wanted that holy anger to be there. So they tell him, you are my, my witness. Are you still there? I'm asking, are you still there? God, one more time, stand, stand, stand on your feet. Put up your hand one more time. Come on, say one more time. Say, my life, my life will, never, will never, ever, ever be, the be the same again. Look for three people telling me you are my witness. I said two or three people, not just one. Are you ready for this? I say, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? I want to lead you through some prayer. We are praying. Oh, you are tired of praying? We are praying. Tell your neighbor we are praying. Yeah? Why you look for a neighbor you don't have to whisper to? Look for a, for a neighbor you can talk to without whispering. Because you don't fear them. Tell them I don't fear you. Tell them we are praying. Somebody say Amen. You, can, you are the best prophet to yourself. I said you are the best prophet to yourself. And I want us to speak to some situation. Can we say amen? amen? Thank you man of God for that teaching. We want to declare. Are you ready? Yes. I say are you ready? Yes. Tell your neighbor. For light to shine. Darkness. Must flee. Tell them, neighbor, for you to excel, there's some stuff that must move out of your life. 
Tell them neighbor. For the legitimate to come. The illegitimate must die. Are you, still, are you still together here? Ten years have gone. Now whatever is illegitimate must die in our lives. Can we say amen? Whatever has to move in your life must move. Whatever has to shift in your life must shift. Whatever must go in your life must go. Whatever must move in your situation must move. Do I have some believers in this house? Just lift up. Again, tell your neighbor, Holy anger, come upon me. Is it coming? Just feel it. Just feel it for a moment. Is it coming? One more, one more time declare, Holy anger, come upon me. Is it coming upon you? Lift up one finger and say, Every spirit, Every spirit of illegitimacy in my life, in my life. tonight, it must die. Die, 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 die. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap offering. Just give the Lord. You hold this cake business fast. Hey, 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 hey. We are doing serious business here. This cake business, hold it fast. We are doing warfare here. This is spiritual warfare. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? One more finger. One more time. One more time. Say, Holy Anger, come upon me. Declare with me right now. In the name of Jesus, everything that must shift in my life for my excellency to manifest tonight. Die, 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 die. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap offering right there. Are you getting somewhere with this? I said getting somewhere with this. We want to address Kampala. We want to address Uganda. Tell your neighbor I'm not here by accident. I'm proud that I'm in Uganda. And I'm in Kampala. Are you ready? Are you ready? Just declare me Uganda, Uganda, oh Uganda. Release my inheritance. Release my inheritance. In Jesus' name. Come on, say release, release, release. In Jesus' name. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for one more? Kampala, are you ready for Kampala? Lift up your finger one more. Address Kampala. We are talking to the atmosphere here. Kampala, Kampala, oh Kampala. Kampala, Kampala, oh Kampala. Release my inheritance. Release my inheritance. In Jesus' name. Inspire shall never be the same again. Oh, they're on this side. That those words are quiet. I say, Inspire shall never be the same again. 
Your life shall never be the same again. Your business shall never be the same again. Uganda shall never be the same again. Somebody say amen. May that word transform your life. Transform your business. Transform your family. Transform the way you do business. Transform the way you do your career. Transform you, transform you completely. For the better of Uganda. For the better of Kampala. In Jesus name.